turn with me to 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 10. We're going to, in honor of uh, Thanksgiving, uh, we're going to talk, we're in a series, uh, the clash between the, where Christianity and culture and the clash there and where they collide, and one of those places is, is thankfulness. One of those places is here, even in what we're celebrating this week. To what are we thankful? To what extent will we be thankful? And that's what I want to speak to today. Uh, we see in the Word of God individuals who uh, portrayed this. and We see attitudes that we are to have, but, but, but life hurts and life challenges. And there are times where, where we struggle to have this, this attitude. And I want to talk today about how we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. How, 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 does that, how is that a reality? How can that be that we are called to be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing? Even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of great suffering, even in the midst of pain and tragedy and all, all that we go through, how, why do we continue to worship week after week? L- listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6. Working together with Him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold, we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. There's many supposed uh, contradictions in that passage. Not contradictions in the Word, but contradictions in our life. Contradictions in our flesh. We don't often equate sorrow and rejoicing. We don't equate, equate our poverty with making others rich. We don't equate uh, glory with suffering, joy with suffering, value with suffering. I was talking with, with Judy Hale this morning and I asked her how her mom was doing. Her mom was married at 19 to a, to a pastor who was 25. He, he went home to be, to be with the Lord when she was about 45, 46 years old. For the last 46 years, she's been a widow. 46 years. Yet still rejoicing. Still praising. Still leading others to the Lord as if if it was before. She did it when her ministry, when her husband was here, and she's doing the same in his absence. And if I ask you today, if I ask you today, to consider this question, why do you worship God? 
Think about that question for a moment. Why, why do you worship God? What would your answer be? What comes to mind? Why do you worship God? Think about that. Let me ask you this question. Is there any reason, is there anything, is there any circumstance, is there any trial, is there anything that could come about in your life that you think you would cease to worship God? If this happens, God, I'm out. If this happens, I will no longer worship you. Is there an answer? Is there something in your mind you could come up with that said, hey, if this happens, I wouldn't? The question becomes this, what, what, do, your answers revolve, what do your answers revolve around? Do, do, do we worship God because of God? Because of who He is? Or do we worship God because of His blessings? Are we simply satisfied in, in being known and knowing Him? Or are we satisfied in Him because of His blessings? See, that's the, that's the answer that if you go to the book of Job, that's the question that, that really sets the, the, the context for the whole book of Job. In Job 1.9, Satan says, Does God worship you for nothing? Here's what Satan is accusing God of doing. He's accusing God of having bought Job's affection. Has God bought your affection? Would you worship God for nothing? Because that is the answer to Job. It's not about why the righteous suffer. If that's the question, you really don't get the answer. The question is this. Will you, will I worship God for nothing? Will we rejoice even in sorrow? And what I want to do today is I want to, I want to, I want to open our hearts to just some tough biblical realities, but I want us to be a people that will truly be thankful this week. That we will truly experience thankfulness, not only today, not only tomorrow, not only Thursday, but, but every day we are called as Christians to be a thankful people, a rejoicing people, no matter what Thursday looks like. We're called to be a thankful people. And I want to see how that's possible. And the question is, is this, will we be grateful even in suffering? Will, will we be grateful even when things are, are not as they should be? When, when life is out of order, when things don't balance, the scales don't balance, when, when things don't seem right, will we still worship? Will we display to the world the worth and the greatness of our great Lord and Savior even in the midst of suffering? Uh, maybe the question for some of us today is, is that we, we might need to ask ourselves is, why don't we suffer? Some of us may be totally unfamiliar with suffering. That might be the bigger question that we need to ask. Is it our country? Well, I mean, we don't suffer because of America. Yeah, it's, it's good to live in America. Maybe part of the reason we don't suffer is because we've so culturalized Christianity that there's really not much of a difference between culture and Christianity. I don't know. I, ask yourself these questions. Allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts as we ask these questions. Why, why do we worship? Why, why, is our, why is our joy so easily robbed, maybe? 
You know, maybe, maybe today is not only, in many fold, maybe today is going to encourage people who are suffering to, to, to keep at it. Maybe today is going to be that thing where in six months when we go through something, we look back at these notes and they encourage us. There's a many, many applications to what we see today. If, if you're not going through trouble, if you're not battling, if you're not suffering, hold on. It's probably coming. There's no, the point is, there's no other way that the world is going to see the supreme glory of Jesus Christ except that we as Christians break free from the prosperity-driven gospel that is subtle. It is subtle to all of our lives. And, 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 here, and that, that Christ will not be glorified as He deserves until we break free of a, of a worship that is, that is willing to worship even, even in sacrifice. The, the, the prosperity gospel will not make anybody praise Jesus. You will praise prosperity. Whatever it is at the end of the gospel, that's what we're to praise. For us, it's God. We, 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 we love Jesus Christ because in the gospel, we get God. That, that's the bottom line. I mean, who wouldn't want a Jesus that gives me health and a car and a great marriage? I mean, that sounds like a genie in Aladdin, not, a, not the God of this Bible. He's not our genie. Who wouldn't want that God? See, the world will accept Jesus if the payoff is right. Hey, if, if, if everything that comes with it outweighs the other, hey, I'll take it. If I come out good, on, I'll take it. That, that's not the gospel that we preach. That, that's the wisdom of the world. And the problem is this. We won't win our campuses or our neighborhoods or our workplaces or anything if we're constantly thinking about driving the coolest and dressing the coolest and, and all the coolest gadgets, and if we're worried so much about blending in the world, that's, that's not how we win our campuses. Jesus calls us to win people another way, and it's worship through suffering. And it's worshiping in the midst of suffering. And when I look around this room, when I, when I thought even about this sermon... I'm reminded from the, worldly, from the worldly perspective, strictly from a worldly perspective, there are many, many, many people in here who would not worship from a worldly perspective. I mean, this room, think about it. This room is filled with untimely deaths. This room is filled with, with many, many people that are battling cancer. Many, many people who financially are, are, are devastated or struggling. It's filled with broken marriages, broken homes, hurts, unfulfilled dreams. Why, yet, yet, yet week after week after week we come and worship. Why? The world says why? And that, that's the impact that we'll have on the world around us. That if we'll be a people that will worship God for nothing that will worship God in spite of all the costs. And that's what I want to encourage us today as we enter into this Thanksgiving season, to hang in there, to see the bigger picture. L listen, listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, and, and this, is, this is the challenging, some of the, the challenging passages that we're faced with, that we are to be a, a people that are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Listen to this, in 
everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything. In everything. As if that weren't enough, Ephesians 5.18 says, says that we are to always give thanks for all things. Not only in all things, but we're to always give thanks for all things. How is that possible? How is it possible that we can be thankful in and for all things? And, and that's the culture clash that I want to address today. Being thankful and worshiping no matter what. I, I, have, I have 12 quick truths, and you look at your hand out, you're thinking, we're going to be here a while. We're not going to be here a while. I, I, we're going real simple. I, 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 I simply today, I want to let the Word of God speak to you. I'm going to try to say very little once I get going here on these points. I'm trying to set the stage. I'm going to try to say very little. I, I want the Word of God, as always, to simply speak to you. And as I unveil these, you're wondering what this board is. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to put a puzzle together. And this is the extent of my creativity. So if you don't like it, keep your mouth shut. Talk about it later. I want to put a puzzle together that will hopefully bring clarity and it will bring sense to what God is doing in and through us and before a watching world. To help us see that, that suffering is not in vain, to see the value of suffering, that we can be a people who are thankful even in the midst of suffering. You, some of you I know in here, who in here likes to do puzzles? You like to do puzzles? Yeah. When, when you put together a puzzle, you have a box. You have a box that shows you what the end picture is going to look like, right? Imagine if I gave you a bunch of puzzle pieces and I said, hey, put the puzzle together. First thing you'd say is, where's the box? What's the end goal? Where are we, where are we aiming at? Because here's the deal. You pick up a piece and you look at the box and you can start to see how that little piece fits into the bigger picture. And, and you, you know generally what area of the puzzle it's going in. And guess what? As you start placing each individual piece, you know what happens? A puzzle, it starts to take on life. Each individual piece may be ugly, may be unsightly, may have no, you have no clue what it means. But as you plug it into place, guess what? A beautiful picture. Maybe it's a landscape. Maybe it's whatever. It starts to come together. But individual pieces that make no sense make a lot of sense when you have a different perspective. And that's what I want us to see today, that, that, that individual pieces of our lives may not make sense in and of themselves, but God is up to something bigger. He's got a big picture in mind that He's orchestrating and that He's working toward, and, and that's what I want us to see today. And then I want us to meditate on these truths, because there is no greater picture of the value of suffering, of, of God's sovereignty over suffering, than what we picture here today with the, Lord, with the Lord's Supper. Worst thing in all the world, God dying. Greatest thing in all the world, God dying. That our sins could be forgiven. That we would be declared righteous. That our separation from God would be bridged. So I want us to see today, and you see on your handout, how we can be rejoicing even in sorrow. And, and I want us to see the value of suffering. L listen to me at Philippians 3.10. Paul writes this, he writes this from prison, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed even to his death in order, in order that I may attain the resurrection 
from the dead. Listen to 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of His glory you may receive with exaltation. You may rejoice with exaltation. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, His prisoner, but join with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Here's the first point I want us to see today about suffering. God uses suffering to bring about a deepened fellowship with His followers amongst and amongst His followers. A, de- a depth of fellowship not only with his followers, between him and his followers, but amongst his... You go through something with somebody, and there's a deeper bond. There's unity. There is a fellowship, the Bible says, that is forged through suffering. And let me see if I can figure this out. I may... I see my puzzle may confound me. Now, try to pay attention to what I'm saying. Now, I know some of y'all are going to be spending the whole Sunday trying to figure out what I'm writing up here. Try to focus. But see, that makes no sense. One little part of your life makes no sense. If that was the only thing, maybe it doesn't make sense, but there's more. Listen to John 15, 20. The value of suffering. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Jesus is saying this. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Listen to uh, Hebrews 12, uh, verse 7 uh, through following. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which we have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. Here's the point. God uses suffering to bring about a discipleship in His followers that would not be there without the suffering. Our willingness to suffer, our willingness to to be pruned, our willingness to have things taken away to the glory of the gospel proves our discipleship. It proves our discipleship. Let me find this. Y'all figured it out? Figure out the puzzle? Listen to me at 1 Corinthians 10. Not only fellowship, suffering brings about fellowship, but it brings about discipleship. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10. 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. Notice he didn't say escape it, he said endure it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul, talking about the thorn in the flesh, he appealed to the Lord three times that he would remove it. And he said to me, my grace, this was God's response to Paul's 
pleading that the Lord would take it away. And the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Paul goes on to say this, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Listen to Psalm 34, uh, verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Here's what we learn in suffering, that God is sufficient. He's sufficient. He's enough. He's enough. We learn that He is our refuge, that He is our defense, that He is our shield, that, that where He increases, we must decrease. Not only fellowship, not only discipleship, but God uses our suffering to bring about a greater dependence upon our Lord and not ourselves. God, God increases our dependence. He grows our dependence in the Lord. We learn to depend on Him and, and not ourselves. We, we learn that He is sufficient. I'm trying to stall while I look for this number. There you go. Y'all got it? Figured it out? Listen to Philippians 1.29. Again, Paul, Paul writes Philippians from, from jail. And, and listen to what he says in Philippians 1.29 about, about, about suffering and, and, going to, and persevering. Paul writes, For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. You know, Paul is saying it's a privilege not only to believe in the Lord Jesus, but to suffer for His sake. Listen to 2 Timothy 1, uh, 8. Oh, we already read that one. Revelation, Revelation 2.10. Listen to Revelation 2.10. Paul writes there, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. He's writing to the, the church at Smyrna. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Listen to this. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He says, be faithful to death. He allowed them. It says, be faithful to death. 1 Peter 3, 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not fear their trouble. Here's, here's the fourth truth about, about suffering. God uses suffering to bring blessings upon His followers that they could never imagine. Even in the midst of suffering, God brings blessings upon His, upon his children that they could have never imagined otherwise. Unique blessings that come through suffering. Ones we would not have pursued on our own, but we would have missed. And God brings about unique blessings even in the midst of our suffering. Not only fellowship and discipleship and dependence and blessings. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so, so that, here's why, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort in abundance through Christ. Through suffering, through walking through things, we become ministers and able to minister in a way that we would have never been able to otherwise. God may walk us through something today because six months from now, there's somebody who's going to need to be walked through it. And God in His graciousness just might do that. And what that teaches us is that God uses suffering to bring about ministry opportunities for His followers that they would have never had. Those of us who have walked through specific things are the best ministers to those who are walking through those very specific things. And God is faithful to walk us through things and even allow things so that we will be better ministers down the road. But not only fellowship and discipleship and dependence and blessings and ministry. Listen to Philippians 1.12. What Paul says in Philippians 1.12 again as he's in prison. Listen to what he says about, about suffering. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, imprisonment, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ. Why was Paul in jail? Because of, because of his relationship with Jesus Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear, again, because of my imprisonment. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from even, from even strife, but also from goodwill. L listen to 2 Timothy, again, uh, chapter 2. We, we read 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal? But the word is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with its eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. One of the, one of the clear pictures uh, of suffering and why God allows His people to go through things is this. God uses suffering to advance the gospel. To take the gospel to places that it would not have otherwise gone. The, the reality to what we're going through and what some of us are battling has more to do with the gospel than anything else. To allow, to pave a way. That word greater progress literally means to pave a way. God is paving a way for the gospel to get to places that it would not have otherwise gone. And here's the question. Will we be faithful to take it? W will we be faithful to, to walk through those opportunities that God gives us and, and will we take it? Will, will we make it about ourselves? Will we, deny, will we close our mouths? Or will we use these opportunities to make much of the situation that we're going through? It's about the advancement of the gospel. But not only that, listen to James 1. Not only the advancement of the gospel, listen to what James writes in James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. 
And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God uses suffering to bring about the maturity of His followers. God uses sufferings. He allows trials. He uses trials. He brings them into our lives, sometimes to make a purer follower, to loosen our grip on this world, to realize that He is all that we need, that we will be useful, that we'll be dependable, that we can be trusted, that we're mature. God matures us through suffering in ways that we would not have matured otherwise, in ease and comfort. But, but not only the, the fellowship and the discipleship and the dependence and the blessings and the ministry and the advance of the gospel and the maturity, but listen to what Romans 8.8 8 says. One of my favorite verses in, in all the world. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You know what, God, what Paul is saying there? When we get to heaven, whatever we've suffered will be worth it. Whatever we've gone through will be worth it. L listen to what, what Job says in, in, in Job 1, 20 and, and following. You, you know those verses well. He says, Then Job arose. This is after his family and everything has come upon him. Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. His possessions are gone. His children are gone. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. He did not charge God with any wrongdoing. And we've got to realize this, that in the midst of our suffering, God uses suffering to bring about pure worship in His followers. A pure worship. We're not worshiping God for stuff. We're not worshiping God for the gifts. We're worshiping God because of who He is. We're worshiping because of what He's done at the cross. We're not confusing our worship, and the world can't confuse our worship with any of the blessings. We're worshiping Him. But not only our worship is pure, listen to Romans 5, 1-5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations. Why? Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. L listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 and following. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power of, will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also be, may, may be manifested in our body." For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Not, not only to bring about a pure worship, but God uses suffering to bring about a pure follower. 
a follower who is willing to give his life in death, that others would have life, because that's exactly what our Savior did. He was willing to give up his life so that others would have life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he who, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. He gave us life where we deserved death. Y'all getting close to figuring it out? Anybody figured it out yet? Uh-oh, Annie's shaking her head. She says she's got to figure it out. All right. She's a puzzle goat. She loves puzzles, though, so she probably watches Wheel of Fortune a lot, too. You got this thing figured out. Listen to Romans 8, 28. Listen to Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Listen to this. To those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. L listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit... If there is any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ, that although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father." Not, not only does God increase our fellowship and our discipleship and our dependence and our blessings and our maturity and our worship and our, our purity, but God conforms us to His image. In suffering, God conforms us to His image. Humility and suffering best pictures our Savior because that's exactly what He did. And you start to see less of us and more of Him. We, as we saw earlier, we are not greater than our master, but we become more about God's will and our own through suffering. He conforms us to His image. And the message that we have to tell the world becomes clearer and clearer about the greatness of God. L listen to Philippians 1, 18 and following. What then? Only, and Paul says, hey, some people are taking advantage of me. Some people are abusing me. Some people are, are making up lies about me. They're doing all this stuff. Listen to what Paul says. What then? Who cares? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Again, in prison. 
For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Philippians 3, 7, he says, But whatever things were gained to me, I count those things as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in appearance in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Listen to Acts 5, verse 41, a very convicting passage, their attitude. So they went on their way from the presence of the council. Listen to this. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Rejoicing. That God had counted them worthy. We display to a watching world the truth that no matter what, God is worthy. No matter what, He's worthy to be worshipped. No matter what, we'll trust Him. No matter what, we will follow. Because we worship Him and Him alone, not the stuff. And what, and what we tell to a watching world is a display. God uses suffering to bring about a display of His greatness. He displays His greatness. And He shows to a watching world that He is great. L- listen to Genesis fifty twenty as we... Wind this thing down and you've probably figured out the purpose of suffering and what our message ought to be even in suffering. But it's, listen to what he says in Genesis 5, 50, 20. Again, Joseph is, uh, all these things have happened. Joseph's brothers come who has thrown him in jail. They th- threw him into the pit. He, he's gone through all this stuff. Listen to what Joseph says. As for you, you meant it evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. To preserve many people alive. Joseph says, hey, this is the whole point. He would not have seen it in any one individual puzzle piece. He would not have seen it in any one moment. But it became clear. His his perspective was clearer. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and following. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to clothe, but clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up in life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us his spirit as a pledge. Lastly, God uses suffering to bring about a clearer perspective for his followers. A clearer perspective. 
on the back side, on the back side, we see clearly what God is doing. We see what He's preparing for us, what He's doing in us. We see the whole picture. Life begins to come into perspective. And it's a life that's about Him and nothing else. It's a life that says, I, I exist to praise my Father. And, and a people who are willing to be thankful no matter what, who are willing to worship no matter what, declare the greatness of our God. I mean, again, I was talking to a guy this week trying to explain to him, and I wanted so badly, I felt like Paul. Paul says, we beg you to come to Christ. I was sharing with him, the difference between Christianity and every other religion is this. Every other religion in this world says this, you work to get to God. Christianity is this, God came to you. Every other religion says, you work hard enough, try to get to God. Christianity is this, I'm going to come to you. I was sitting at the, the, yesterday with a guy named Jay, explaining that to him. Reading to him Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. To think of God the Father, after his son has wasted his entire inheritance, would get up, shame himself, and come running to that son. And yet that's exactly what he's done for us. He suffered that we would be praised, that we would win. And this is what he's asked us to do. Now you suffer that others can receive the same thing that you received. I've made much of you in the cross, and through your belief in me, now you make much of me, even if it means suffering. What we declare to the world is that our hope is in him. It's not in stuff, it's not in comfort, it's, not, it's in him. The glory of the gospel is that I get God, that I get Him. There, For that, I can be thankful that no matter what, just like Paul says in, in Romans 8, 35 and 39, he, here's Paul's rejoicing. He's not glad in the sense of that he's suffering, but here's the reality of what he realized. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Paul says, no, he says, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And, and this is how we overwhelmingly conquer. What Satan means for our harm, what Satan means to tear us away from God, to cease praising God, God uses for him to be praised even more. That's how we overwhelmingly conquer. The very thing that was meant to destroy us, to pull us away from God, to cause us to walk away from God, is the very thing that God uses to draw us in. The thing that was meant to cause us to cease praising Him to a world is the very thing that causes us to praise Him to the world even more. None of our suffering, listen to me, here's how we can rejoice. None of our suffering works as Satan intended for it to work. It does not separate us from the Lord. We are that strong and secure. What Satan means for harm, God uses for good. And in this, we overwhelmingly conquer. Listen, you may not see it today. You may not see it tomorrow. You may not see it for a little while. We might not understand it, but trust the character and the goodness of our Heavenly Father in the midst of the suffering, that no matter what, He is good, and no matter what, He is sovereignly carrying this world to its completion.
no matter what, we can praise Him. No matter what, we can worship Him for that. And again, there is no greater picture of that than what we partake of this morning. And that's why, as much as I love seeing our kids participate in this with us, I, I, wanted us to, I want us in a moment to come up here and take these elements, and I want you to go back to your seat, and I want you to contemplate exactly what God has done, exactly what God has done so that we could take this this morning. And, and contemplate the question, Lord, am I willing to suffer? Lord, will, do, would, would I worship you for nothing? Would I worship you if everything was stripped away? Would I worship you for you? Is, is there something in my life that, that maybe I'm worshiping more than you that has become an idol that maybe needs to be stripped away? I, I want us to contemplate that as we take this. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you, if you cannot confidently say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, please do not take these elements. Stay in your seat. 1 Corinthians 11 is very clear that there are consequences for taking this in an unworthy manner. But, but take it, if you're a Christian, if you're a member of this church or not, take it. But take it contemplating. The worst thing in the world, Jesus Christ dying. The best thing in the world, Jesus Christ dying. What, what, what in our life today or what circumstances may be hindering our praise that maybe we need to give over to God and worship Him in the midst of that? Because He's good. And because even though we may not always see it, He is worthy of praise. And He is good. If He was willing to sacrifice His own Son, that whosoever would call upon His name would be saved, we can count, we can trust Him with whatever it is. And I pray that at the end of the day, I pray that at the end of our lives, no matter what, we would be found faithful that we would be unwavering in our trust and our thankfulness, that, that this Thanksgiving when we sit down, that we're thankful for more than the turkey and our family. We're thankful that we, we have a God who served us by sending His own Son to die on the cross, that in the midst of our sin, loves us and serves us. In the midst of our suffering, still is there and loves us and serves us.